morning again. It's always fun to see the exodus when the children leave. It's like, why are you talking about me? Um, welcome, welcome. Uh, we're very, very glad you guys are with us again this morning. This morning we'll be continuing our series on David. We've entitled this series, After God's Own Heart, Lessons from the Life of David. We've been blessed so far to begin our series talking about David and Yahweh and his personal relationship with God and being reminded that God always looks at our heart. Then last week we talked about David and Goliath and we shared about how God prepared David for battle and in the same way God will prepare us for battle as we slay the Goliaths in our life. This morning we're going to talk about David and Jonathan. We're going to talk about God, we're going to talk about friendship, and we're going to talk about covenant. Let's begin by praying. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for the blessing of friendship. We thank you so much it's for so many of us. It's how we know your love. It's how we know about the kingdom. It's how we know how to live in this world. So, God, we also thank you, though, that our friendships can point to this covenant and this relationship that we have with you. We thank you for David. We thank you for Jonathan. We thank you for this story and how it reminds us of a God who loves us, of a God who watches over us, a God who's always there for us. In your holy and precious name, amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Samuel 18. We'll be reading the first four verses of 1 Samuel 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe and he was wearing and he gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. One of the most fascinating things in David's story is his friendship with Jonathan. A lot of times we gloss over the fact that these two had no business being friends. David and Jonathan friends? Really? David and Jonathan covenant friends? What does that even mean? If you think about it, they were more better, they are more suited to be rivals. For one, they were rivals for the crown. Jonathan was Saul's eldest son. As we learn from David's family, the eldest son get everything. They get to divide everything among the family. So imagine what the crown prince gets. And David is supposed to be God's anointed one. Jonathan is older. David is younger. Jonathan is, you know, the crown prince over all Israel. David is Yahweh's king. Jonathan is older, but also more experienced than David. In fact, Jonathan was a great warrior himself. He was known for archery. He was known for slinging. He was known for attacking the Philistines by himself. David was this overnight sensation. Yes, you killed Goliath, but I've been in the battles. Yes, you killed Goliath, but I've been killing Philistines for years. One of the things that's fascinating about this relationship is that we forget, we we focus on how Saul becomes an afterthought, but no one ever talks about Jonathan, right? The women came out from the towns when David was in town, they would run out and would say, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. Makes you wonder, does Jonathan just count for nothing? Jonathan kind of takes on the the, the role that David had been playing for so long. David was forgotten. Hi. We'll figure it out later. David was forgotten. David was uh, the, the youngest son. David was not important. Jonathan has gone from being crown prince over all Israel, from being one of Israel's most feared warriors, from being one of the most important people for the future of the entire nation. And now they sing songs about David. It makes no sense that they were friends. They should have been rivals. In fact, they should have maybe even been enemies. Uh, this week, I, I learned uh, one of my, my, my new favorite stories is uh, there was a uh, Um, In the 1930s, there was a boxer by the name of Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis was widely regarded as one of the greatest heavyweight boxers of all time. Joe Lewis was black. 
Um, he was a proud African-American. In fact, in his prime, he was called unbeatable. Joe Lewis was so unbeatable that, you know, they booked his fights like months and months in advance. Now in our culture, they do have boxing, but it takes like a year to book a fight. They knew Joe would win, that they would just have a month after month after month he would be fighting. To this day, no heavyweight fighter ever fought like that. But the thing about Joe Lewis that was very, very complicated is Joe Lewis grew up in 1930s America. He was born in the South, and then he moved to Detroit. So even though he was a proud American, he served his, his, his country and all that, Joe Lewis was still a black man in America. And he knew being a black man in America was a little bit hard. So to say that Joe Lewis had a love-hate relationship with America would be understating it a little bit. Joe Lewis, before his heavyweight fight, was scheduled to fight the number two contender for the belt. It was a guy by the name of Max Schmeling. Max was white. Max was German. Max also had a complicated relationship with his country. See, Max didn't necessarily believe in Nazi Germany. He didn't believe in Nazism. In fact, even after he rose to success, he was known for hiding Jews in his house. People believe that part of the reason Max came to America is because he hated Germany. But then World War II happened, and Max is supposed to fight Joe Lewis. So the, the promoters have a dream. You have black against white. Langston Hughes once said, Joe Lewis means so much to black America that when he wins, we all go to the streets and just joy and celebrate. So you have black against white. But even more than that, promoters go, you had America against Germany. And these two were told to be not just rivals, but enemies of these great countries. Joe Lewis thought he was going to beat Max, that even before he fought Max, he already scheduled his heavyweight fight. But then something crazy or wild happens, right? Joe Lewis picks up golf, and he doesn't really focus on the fight, and Max beats him. It's such a problem that Max beats him that they're like, well, how do we get out of the heavyweight fight? But Joe Lewis had so much backing that he still has his heavyweight fight. And in fact, he wins the heavyweight championship, and Max is like, what about me? So Joe Lewis fights Max again, and this time he trains for the fight, he beats Max. So you have these two guys who are, again, supposed to be enemies and rivals, and for some reason it reminded me of David and Jonathan, because their friendship that happens after the fight is remarkable. Joe Lewis had, um, he struggled with reading, and his whole life he was taken advantage of. Of all the millions that he could have made, it all went to his managers. In fact, he died a, a man who was indebted to the IRS because he couldn't read his contracts, and people just stole his money, and the IRS always comes collecting. But you know what? Max was responsible for paying some of Joe's debts. When Joe died in poverty, Max, the enemy, the German, the fake Nazi, was the one who paid for his funeral. Sometimes friendships, they go more than meet the eye. Sometimes friendships are a little bit deeper. Sometimes your friend comes with people you can never even imagine. And I think Joe and Max remind me of David and Jonathan because on the outside, they were rivals, crown prince versus God-anointed one, skilled warrior versus overnight sensation, the one they sing songs about, the one they forgot about, the one who the kingdom was hereditary, the one who the kingdom was given to. They're supposed to be rivals, but they become friends. Now, what's fascinating for me about David and Jonathan is that nowadays there's three different interpretations of this relationship because on a lot of levels, it doesn't make sense. They should have hated one another. There's some people who look at some of the words here. They said, well, Jonathan loved David as himself. They favored one another. And then when Jonathan dies, David says, your love for me is more wonderful than the love between women. So people take all of those and, and they even get to the end of uh, 1 Samuel 20 when they greet each other with a kiss. And they say, oh, this is, this is deeper than friendship. You know, I think they were lovers. 
And there's people who actually teach this and they believe this. Now, what's fascinating to me is, you know, some of you have been brethren in Christ longer than I've been alive. I think it's within a generation or two that we stopped the holy kiss. Um, I like greeting you at the door. I will shake your hand. We're not going to go back to the holy kiss. I just want everybody to know. I know you were worried about it, but now I'm relieving you of that tension, right? But the holy kiss has been within Christianity, within that framework. Even in cultures today, people do it. But instead of that, we're going to focus on some of these things that, that people say that David and Jonathan were lovers because. The first one is they loved them. They, Jonathan loved David as himself. What's fascinating to me about that is it ignores the great commandment. Remember when Jesus was asked before the Sadducees and, and Pharisees, one of them, an expert of the law, tested Jesus and says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And what did Jesus say? The Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The people back then, the people who were first Christians, were all covenant people. And what that means is they had a relationship with God, and this is just the language that they use. So when you read Jonathan loved David as himself, what Jonathan is really saying is, I will prefer David over me. Jonathan is actually showing allegiance to God in loving David as himself. And more than that, Jonathan is reminding us that's how we are to love. In this world that says the self is the most important, Jonathan reminds us that we are to be willing to put others before ourselves, so much so that if you love yourself, that's the kind of love you need to give to everyone around you. The second one that's interesting for me is that we buy, we forget centuries of, of Christian thought and Judeo-Christian thought about what this relationship was like. And for me, I haven't been around for centuries, I haven't been around for generations. So I think it's a good point to at least start with what they said. But more than that, and I think this is why this is important. We need to stop buying the lie that sexual love is the greatest love we can have. We need to stop buying the lie that when David says, your love for me is greater than the love among women, we need to stop buying the lie, well, it must have been sexual. Because here's the thing, let's be honest. David, you can't strike me down, you're not God. I, I got to say this to the people. You can make a pretty strong argument that David probably didn't necessarily value his love among women, couldn't we? If we want to be honest, if we want to be honest, we can say that David might have valued hanging out with the boys more than the love among women. So that's the first thing. But the second thing, remember what Jesus himself says, what is the greatest love? Greater love has no one than this than to lay down their life for their friends. Jonathan loved David as himself. Jonathan is not a sexual love, but it's a love that's willing to even die for his friend. And why is that important? Because it points to what Jesus himself did, doesn't it? Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus in one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. What's the greatest love? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jonathan and David have a great, great love. It's not a sexual love. It's a love that you're going to always prefer the other. The second one is a little bit more comical to me. There's a lot of great scholars out there who will be smarter than I ever can dream to be. But when they look at Jonathan and David, they said, well, this is a, a great tale of masculine friendship. And I read that, and I'm just like, really? We need to gender friendship? You know, like, this can't be a great tale of friendship. Why does it have to be masculine friendship? And one of my friends was like, well, because they're two guys, and guys aren't really friends. I was like, really? That's true? 
That's really true. Why, like, like, so for example, David had um, an ancestor. His, his great-grandma was Ruth. When Ruth leaves her people behind, when Ruth loses her, her husband, the family, and, and, and the, the other sister-in-law goes back to Moab, and Ruth says what? I will go with you. Your people will be my people, right? How come we don't call that great feminine friendship? I have not found that in any, in, in any commentaries. Like, Ruth is an example of feminine friendship. It makes no sense, right? This isn't a tale of masculine friendship, just like Ruth and Naomi isn't a tale of feminine friendship. Friendship is friendship. And how I know that is some of my greatest friends in this world are men. And some of my greatest friends in this world are women. It turns out that you can be friends with men. And you can be friends with women. It's crazy. It's wild, I know. It's wild to think about, right? You don't have to say, we will now have a good masculine friendship. You don't have to lead with that. And you don't have to lead with, we're going to have a good feminine friendship, whatever that means. Now, I was thinking this week about the, the, the two greatest gifts that my friends have given me. So I was like, well, I'm not going to be able to say this if I don't have an example from a, a woman and a man. And God gave me one. Two greatest gifts, one of the two greatest gifts I've ever received is I have a friend, Audrey, who when we were in college, so this is almost 20 years ago now, she actually put together a scrapbook for me. And in the scrapbook, she, she took all these, I'm, I'm a big fan of quotes, I'm a big fan of song lyrics, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, anything that gets me to the point quicker. You know, if you, you can tell me, well, this is what the movie's about, you tell me one sentence, we're good, right? So she got together all these different quotes. And then she got all of our friends in that circle to just wax poetic about how wonderful I am, you know? It was beautiful, it really was, right? I'm serious, it was beautiful. But she gave me this gift for my birthday one year, and it's almost 20 years, and I still have that book. And those quotes have defined friendship for me over the last 20 years and probably for the rest of my life. It's one of the greatest gifts I had because at the time, you know, it wasn't like I was struggling and I was like, eh, but just giving me that gift, she reminded me what friendship is supposed to be, what friendship can be, and how it's important, why it's important to invest in the people around you. One of the greatest gifts I'll ever receive. The second one is, is uh, probably my best friend in the world is, is, uh, is Mike. You know, one of the joys of being Messiah College, Shell and I joked that I think two summers ago was the first time I wasn't in like six weddings, you know? I have been blessed and privileged to do everything there is to do in a wedding that you'd want me to do. You know, I'm pretty sure you don't want me to sing a solo, so everything else I've covered, right? But in all the weddings I've been in, in one summer I was actually in eight different weddings. In all the weddings, now I'm, I'm blessed to be able to, to do weddings now, so it's going to continue the rest of my life, right? But of all the things I've done in weddings, I've only been best man once. Once. And that's fine by me because I only got married once. I'm only getting married once. And, and I only had what? One best man. And it was my friend Mike. Mike was my brother. You know, it was funny when we were in college, we, we were on this Messiah College wrestling team, and, and it was about 40 of us, and there was two people of color. And we joked even before we knew we were roommates. We were like, you better be my roommate because there's a lot of white people here. <laughs> and that's when we knew we were off to a good start. And we've been friends for almost 20 years now. And Mike is one of my deepest friends because he's the one, he was one of, he was my Jonathan. You know, to this day we joke that Mike is my agent. I don't even know he's my agent. You know, if you ever need a friend who could gas you up and make you feel good about yourself, call Mike. You know, if you ever need a friend who will just say like, you're doing okay. I got you. I've been praying for you. How's your week going? Call Mike. He's been my Jonathan. And what I love the most about him is he's down in Tennessee and most people will never know him. They'll never meet him. 
But what I love the most about him is he'll always be my Jonathan. I might be the David in front of you today speaking to you, but I'm guaranteeing you this one that I'm here because he believed in me before I ever believed in myself. And that's not a masculine friendship. That's just friendship. Audrey believed in what a friend I could be, how it's important I was investing in me, and that's not a feminine friendship. That's just friendship. So what then is David and, and, and Jonathan doing? If it's friendship, if it's not a sexual relationship, if it's not about them being men together, what kind of relationship is it? Well, it's something called covenant. Covenant is not a word that we use very often. We as Christians, we love the word, but it'd be interesting to know if we actually know what the word means, right? Covenant is a, a synonym for something we call testament, as in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Covenant was how the people back then did business. Now, before we go into how covenant looked back then, I want to tell you that to this day, you have some covenants. You know, one of my favorite ones is the marriage covenant, where you pledge before God that this is the person you will be with. You pledge before God, you pledge before the world and say, I belong to you, you belong to me. We will walk this road together in Christ's name. That's a good one. The bad one I don't like so much, it comes every month, it's called the mortgage covenant. You know, um, in, in covenants back then, they had something called blessings and stipulations, right? Um, blessing and curses in some translations. The blessing is, you know, you pay your mortgage covenant every month. You get to, to buy the house you've bought that you're still buying, right? The stipulation of curse when you don't pay the mortgage covenant is you get to lose the house you bought that you thought you were always buying, Right? So there's different covenants even to this day. But covenants were, were binding legal relationships. This is how the people interacted. And God knew that within this culture. And one of the things I want to show us this morning is not just that David and Jonathan had this covenant relationship, but God uses the same language to describe his relationship with us in so many different ways. And my hope is that at least one of you understand your relationship with God at a deeper level because of this covenant we're in. The other thing about covenant that the ancients understood was they believed that it was a container of hesed. Hesed was God's love. Hesed was God always doing what's best for you. Hesed was the mercy and grace that will chase you down until you're captured. So the container of hesed was this legal binding agreement that you would make. So what did the agreement look like? We read a little bit about it. Now, you have to remember in that culture, we talked about this last week, in that culture, it was all about representatives. It's how David, a shepherd boy, can stand before all of Israel and say, I am your representative. I win, we win. I lose, we lose. But it's the same way Goliath can stand before him, before the Philistines, and then say, I'm your representative. I'm mighty Goliath. When I win, we win. Because I'm never going to lose. We also believe in representatives, right? I'm told we have a house of representatives and they're supposed to represent me. I'm not sure how that's going, but I'm told that's how it's supposed to work. I'm also told we had a thing called the Constitution where a bunch of people came together and they wrote stuff that's supposed to represent me. And we're still working on that part, whether or not it represents all of us. You know, we're still working on that part. But again, in our culture, we too believe in representatives. Now, what happens in a, in a covenant is that, you know, you have the written language, but then you also have a ceremony. What you read in, in, in 1 Samuel 18 to 20 is a bunch of times you'll see they make covenant with each other, make covenant with each other. What you read in these first four verses is the actual ceremony. You see, they would exchange their robes. And this is simply to say who you are and what you do, your identity is now wrapped in me. 
So Jonathan, by taking off his robe, which would signify to everyone that he was the crown prince, and putting it on David and says, I'm in covenant with you. Who you are is now wrapped up in me. Who I am is now wrapped up in you. Jonathan is a great friend because he's choosing to come under David. He's submitting to David. He's taking all the privilege that he has. He's taking it off, and he's putting it on his brother. The second thing that happened in covenant, and you see it in these four verses, is they take their weapons and they give their weapons to each other. And what this means, and if you read this week through 1 Samuel 18 to 20, you'll see that six times Saul tried to kill David. He threw spears at him. He threw javelin at him. He, he sent a, a death squad to his bedroom. He even chased him. Through cave and cave and cave, six different times, Saul tries to kill David. When you exchange your weapons in covenant, you are saying, I am now obligated to protect you. Everything that I have, all my resources will go in protecting you because we are in covenant with one another. When you're attacked, I'm attacked. But when I'm attacked, you're attacked. We're in covenant together. The last one, the, the next one is they, they would share their possessions. They would, they would, they would take away their possessions and, and give it to each other, and they would they, do these token possessions. But the idea here was actually deeper than what they would share in possessions. Because the idea, and that to me, this is a hard one in covenant, to be honest, right? I can pledge to love you. I can pledge to give you authority and power and all that. I can pledge to give you weapons and protect you. You know what the possessions signified? All of my assets belong to you. What's the negative of that? All of your debt belongs to me. Covenant was a deep, deep relationship. The next one is they would, they would even change their names, right? So, I, I, um, for example, Abram, when he covenants with God, he becomes what? Abraham, right? Covenant was literally, you know, there's a guy. This is funny. We learned this in class, and everyone was, was like super zen. I was just cracking up like a 14-year-old boy. Um, there was a guy named Ducey. There was a guy named Plessup, and they came together, and they formed a covenant in the ancient Near East, and it became the Ducey Plessup Covenant, and everyone else thought that was amazing. I was like, really? Can't we change the names? Like Ducey and Plessup? Can we come up with something better? Guess not. Um, but covenant was the combining of names. So we as Christians then, when you think about what does it mean to be a Christian, a Christ one. We've taken the name of Christ, even in pledging to be Christian. It's something we don't think about a lot. Oh, yeah, we're Christians. No, no, no. You're choosing the name of Christ when you enter into covenant with him. And there's another name you get later that's even better. The other thing with covenant that's real, real fascinating here is that they would make vows in blood. You know, this is the idea where blood brothers would come from. In fact, in covenant, they would usually lift up their hand and, and cut the, the, at the wrist here. There would be a wound by the wrist. Might be familiar to what Jesus did on the cross, right? And they had this thing called blood brothers because some cultures, not everyone, but some cultures would actually cut the blood. They would let it drip into the cup right? We do this in communion. This cup of blessing which we bless, yeah, they would let the blood drip into the cup and they would drink it together to signify what? To signify that I am now sharing in your essence who you are. The ancients believe the blood was your essence of who you are. You are now fully a part of me as I am now fully a part of you. There's a lot of connections we're going to make with our faith in this. The next one was, you know, they had a sacrifice. So in some covenants, there'd be some kind of animal. They would cut the animal in half, and they would walk around the animal in something that looks like a figure eight. In fact, there's many scholars who believe that that infinity symbol that we have today, if you can think of the sideways eight, 
The infinity we have today was the path of covenant. So what does that signify? It means this bond I'm making with you, it lasts for infinity. This bond I'm making with you, this blood sacrifice is uniting us together forever. And then they would have a feast. And at the feast, they would have bread and they would have wine and they would share in the cup of blessing. And the conclusion of the covenant was this. We say blood is thicker than water. They said blood is thicker than mother's milk. It's tricky. But what he means here, what they meant was that in covenant, your family doesn't matter as much as who you're in covenant with. So when I say the blood that flowed on Calvary's tree is greater than the blood that flows in you and me, that's covenant language. Because in God, our relationship with our sisters and brothers who believe in Jesus' name matters more than even the children we birth than even the families we're part of. It doesn't mean they don't matter, but it means our covenant to other Christians will always matter more. So when you look at David and you look at Jonathan and you see this covenant relationship, you see that Jonathan sees David as his king and submits to him. You see Jonathan giving up his power, his privilege for the sake of his brother. You see Jonathan time and time again protecting David because they're in covenant together. You see Jonathan throughout the story doing all the work. Jonathan makes the vow and the sacrifice. David's on the run. Jonathan has to stay with his murderous father. And here's the other thing about Jonathan. He loves David. He's in covenant with David. But he never disrespects his father, who's a murderous, I won't call him traitor, but in its essence, he's traitor to God's covenant. And Jonathan stays loyal to him. So that means when Saul would go out to try to kill David, Jonathan was probably on the walk with him. Think about the, 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 the headspace we have to be in for that. Jonathan and David pledged before God. And here's my favorite part about covenant. The ancients believed that your children are inside of you even before they happened. So when they talk about being in covenant, right, we use the language in Christ. When they talk about being in covenant, that means everyone that comes from me also has access to this covenant. So when Jesus goes and dies on the cross and he becomes not just the representative because he's perfectly God, the representative because he's perfectly man, Jesus and says, binds us to say, everyone who believes in me gets the rights of all the covenant. So when you get to a couple of chapters later and David is elevated as king, it's not weird that David says, who is left in Jonathan's line that I may show Hesed to him? This is why the story of Mephibosheth makes sense. It wasn't just because David is being a nice guy. It wasn't just David is like, oh, I have all the power. Now let me bless some little guy. No, because David was in covenant with Jonathan, David had to, had to, had to provide for Mephibosheth. Because your children are in you. And when David and Jonathan made that covenant before God to go forever, they were saying, everyone that comes from my line will now be in relationship together. So how does this impact our relationship with God? Why is this so important? Well, let me tell you, Scripture uses covenant language time and time again. When you're told that your works are like filthy rags, your works are like filthy rags, but you get to put on the robes of righteousness. Guess who robes you get to leave? You get to leave your sin at the door and put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
when, when the Bible says, you know what? This world, you'll have trouble, but put on the armor of God. You can feel that one because when you go into battle, you don't need to worry about where you lack. You don't need to worry about what you don't have. You don't need to worry about what power you have because you get to work with the armor of God. When scripture says, you know, in your weakness, there's God's strength. You got to say that's covenant language because it doesn't matter that I'm weak. Why? My partner in covenant is Jesus Christ and he's the almighty God. When covenant, when covenant says, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ one, I choose to follow Jesus. Jesus says, oh, that's just the beginning because guess what? I got a new name for you. They might call you Henry. They might call you Hank. They might call you HB. Some might call you Pastor Hank. But when you get to heaven, you got a new name written in the Lamb's book of life. Covenant, covenant says when I died on the cross for you, when I died and I stretched my arms out for you, when they put the blood in my side and the blood dripped down, you now in believing in me get to share in my essence. This is why Paul says we've already been exalted in Christ Jesus. This is why Paul reminds us to remember who we are and to remember whose we are because we are children of the king. And everything that Jesus has, we now have access to because of our covenant with him and when covenant says that Jesus's blood brings us back home we need to know this morning that's forever God's forgiveness of your sins is forever God's coverage of your sins is forever scripture doesn't just say love covers all sins we need to remember that Jesus died for all sins Jesus died for all sins Jesus died so we can be set free and when we take communion every week, when we say the body and the blood, the bread and the wine, there are foretastes of what's to come, but it's also a celebration of what's been done. Let it be a foretaste of what's to come, but never forget that it's a celebration of what's been done for us. Jesus' covenant with us makes us family. That's the story of David and Jonathan. Their covenant together makes them family, but they point us to God and what God has done for us. Let David and Jonathan not just be a good tale of friendship. Let it be a reminder of Christ who came and makes you family. Let it be a reminder of Christ who came and says, put on my robes, put on my righteousness. Let it be a reminder of Christ who says, take my armor into every battle you fight because your weakness is my strength. Let it be a reminder, and I forgot this part, but it's the best part. God doesn't just give us token possessions. He gives us the Holy Spirit as the down payment. You start with the Holy Spirit. David says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. God says, in Christ, in covenant, you get the Holy Spirit to live in you forever as your down payment of all that is to come. The covenant that God makes with us is more than this legal binding relationship. What I love about covenant is God goes into that culture. He sees what they value. And then he says, I'm going to use that to reach my people. This is what people did for thousands of years in that culture. This is how they interacted with each other. And God says, all these things that you value, I will use them to point them to me. Covenant makes us family. The beauty of David and Jonathan is they got to be not just friends, not just family, but they got to stand before God and then give us a picture of how Christ stands before God for us. We're going to end our service now through the singing of one of my favorite songs, What a Friend We Have in Jesus.
And I want us to sing this song with a new verb this morning, with a new power this morning. Because when we think about friends, may we also be reminded that our friend who's Jesus Christ makes us family. And that family that we are in Jesus Christ, that covenant that he makes possible for us, welcomes us home. We don't just get to cast our cares upon Jesus. We get to know that he's there for us. We don't just get to say, I love Jesus and it's all good. We get to know that the most powerful force in the universe is the one who's on our side. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. But what a joy we have in Jesus that we are now family with the God of the universe. That we are now in a legal binding relationship that goes on forever. I'd like to invite up the intercessors. We're going to pray for you. If you have anything you need prayer for, please, please come up. We will also have the prayer rails up here if you want to pray by yourself. There's a couple of seats in the front row if you want to take time by yourself. Or where you are, please do that. Also, like to invite up any staff if in the building if they want to pray for you as well. But as we sing this song, let us all be reminded that it's not just about friendship. It's about friendship with God. It's not just about family. It's about being in God's family and the covenant that brings us all home. Amen.